All right, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Paul says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the section we're going to be getting to in just a little bit. But like I said at the beginning, before we started our recording, there's a reason why we're not going to get right to this section because of where we ended up last week. If you remember last study that we had, we looked at how the difference between those who are truly Christians and those who are not, because we all still sin, is the issue of repentance. And that's where we left off at the end of our study. We looked at the fact that uh, when he talked about here, uh, that uh, he, as, he, as he put it here, he said, you may be sure of this, verse 5, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure and covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And we dealt with that whole issue of, oh, oh what, what about me? I mean, we, we still struggle with some of these things. And we looked at the fact that the scripture says, if God's spirit is in you, he sealed you, and he's going to be making you more and more like himself. The issue is, are you moving forward in your growth with the Lord, or are you... If you don't have his spirit, you're going to continue and you don't feel bad for your sin. There's no repentance. So at the end of a study last week, someone came up and made a comment about how confession about confession and how it used to be more prevalent in our worship service. Some of you probably remember when you grew up in church, they used to have a confession time in every service. Some of you, does that make any sense? Some of you remember that? They used to start off services with confession. When I was in New Orleans, every Sunday the pastor would start and have a time where people would confess their sins to God and then ask for his forgiveness and go on and move from there. I agreed with this person that definitely our services used to have that more, but I also clarified that confession doesn't mean what most people think. Now, watching the reaction of the other people that were all standing around afterwards as we were discussing this, I realized a need to teach on this before moving on in our passage. As we left off last time and we study in our study, like I just said, the issue is whether or not you are really his or not is this issue of repentance and yielding yourself and striving to live the way God wants you. We all still struggle with sin. As Paul, I'm sorry, John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, uh, chapter 2, he said, I write these things to you, my dear children, so that you won't sin. But if you do, we have someone who speaks in our, our, in our defense and talks about Jesus. And so I just what I want to deal with before we move on is teach you a little bit in a way that you might not have ever seen before about confession, because many of us have been taught wrongly about what confession is. Many of us have been taught that confession is us telling God what we've done. God, I've done this. Would you please forgive me? That's not what the Bible teaches confession is, and you'll see as we take the time to do that. So go with me. Put a bookmark here in Ephesians 5. Go with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 17. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. 
He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So stick with me here, because I'm about to take you in a direction you might not have ever expected to go from this passage. You see, for years, many of us have been taught that Jesus, when he took off his outer garments and he wrapped himself in a towel, had taken the role of a servant and he began to wash their feet. And people have taught for years that Jesus was teaching service and serving one another. Has anybody ever heard this passage used for that? Let me show you from context that that's not what Jesus is teaching. Look at what he says. He, look, at his, look at here in, in uh, verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you will understand. You see, if Jesus was teaching service, Peter understood what he was doing. All right, if it was just simply service what he was teaching, Peter knew he was teaching service. Peter says, I'm not going to let you serve me. Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing right now. Later you will. And then he says, I'm not going to ever let you wash my feet. Again, Peter's still thinking this is service, that Jesus is trying to serve him. Peter says, I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus then makes this statement. He says, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. And then, of course, Peter, you know, the way Peter does, he jumps in with both feet. He says, then give me the whole bath. My hands and my head, just wash me all over, Jesus. And then Jesus makes a very interesting statement that starts to help us understand what he's really trying to teach. He said, a person who's had a bath doesn't need to be cleansed again, only their feet. And what I want you to understand is, is Jesus is teaching here, not on service, but on sanctification. Listen closely to what I'm talking about. When you were born again, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, remember, your salvation has three parts. I've explained it to you over and over. I want to remind you of it. Your, the first part of your salvation is the moment you trust Christ. That's your justification. You're, you're declared righteous. His Spirit comes in and He seals you as His. Now, at the same time, the Bible says that we're in the process of being saved, right? That's the sanctification process. Uh, and then one day when we go to heaven, we'll be glorified, and that'll be the glorification part of our salvation. Now, if you have been justified, while you're in the sanctification process, do you need to be saved again? No. no. Actually, too many of us still think we do. After I finished preaching at this church I was preaching at last week, a lady came down during the invitation time, and she came to me and she said, I, I, I said, why are you coming? And she, and she said, well... I, I just, I've just given my life to Jesus again. And I said, what, are, what do you mean by that? And we had to go through the fact that she thought that she had lost it and now got it back and now she wasn't living it and maybe she needs to do it a third time. And folks, if you've already had the bath, 
You don't need to be saved again. You're saved. But we still sin, don't we? We need to have our feet washed, if you will. So Jesus here is not teaching service. He's teaching sanctification. Now you got to stick with me. Here's where it gets really cool. All our lives we've been taught that our confession and sanctification is, Lord, I've just done this. Would you please forgive me of this sin? And then he washes and cleanses us, right? Let me ask you a question, though. Did Jesus, but let me ask it to you this way. If Jesus is teaching sanctification here, not service, if he's teaching sanctification, which he is, did he wash them before they asked him or after they asked him? Before. He's actually trying to wash their feet. They hadn't even asked him to wash their feet yet. So this gave me a problem. When God began to show me this, I was like, wait a minute, Lord, that doesn't match up with all these years of what I've been taught in 1 John 1, 9. Go there. Go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. See, because all our lives we've been taught, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and then will forgive us our sins, right? Well, actually, I just added a word in there that the Bible, that the Bible doesn't have. Listen to what it says. There's no if then. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Look at what it says. All right. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, all it's saying is, if we confess, he cleanses. Now, stick with me. You could still say, well, Jim, I have to confess and then he'll wash. Right? But there's more to it than that. As I looked at this and was wrestling with this, Lord took me to the fact that what does the word confess actually mean? And for those that aren't Greek scholars, and neither am I, I got people that do this study for me, and I thank God for them. <laughs> the word confess is the Greek word homologeo, which means to agree or to say the same thing. So, Dave, if you were to say something and I agreed with you, who started the conversation? You did. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is important. In order for us to agree with God, because that's what the word confess means, to agree with, or to say the same thing in response. Who starts the conversation when it comes to our confession? It has to be God. Confession cannot be, God, I've done this, and then he agrees with me, and then washes me of, of my sin. Confession is God starting the conversation, me agreeing with him. And listen closely, here's where it gets really cool. Confession is when I like Peter, stop pushing away the Jesus who is trying to wash me of the sin that I have committed. Do you understand the difference? Understand, this is how it works for salvation. Isn't the message of the gospel, Jesus has already died for your sins? He loves you. He wants you to receive it. Re believe and repent. Re accept the gospel. You confess when you say, God, you're right. I need this salvation. I need your forgiveness. I am a sinner. Confession does not start with you. Many of us have been taught in our churches that at confession time, we're to now tell God what we've done. It is, he already knows. You're just convicted. Yes, you're convicted. But when you, and I'll get right to you, Fred. When you see, picture Jesus, folks, in the midst of your sin. When the Spirit of God is convicting you, if you've ever heard him, you'll notice it's always in a loving, it's very clear, but it's in a loving way. I have better for you than this. You don't need this. This isn't good for you. Picture Jesus trying to wash your feet right at that moment when you're in. Some of you struggle with looking at things on the Internet you're not supposed to look at. Just picture Jesus trying to wash your feet while you're looking at it. Go to the red X. That's confession. Lord, you're right. I agree this is wrong. And receive his cleansing. 
Now, here in the context, and I'm still coming back to you, Fred, look at the context of 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 10, in the, right around this whole passage that we all can quote. But look at what it says in verses 8 and verse 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. If we agree with God about our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us in our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, if I don't confess, will He not wash? Yeah, because you're not letting Him. He's there trying to. His grace is being offered and poured. The Bible says that His grace is like, His Spirit and His grace is like rivers of living water continually flowing. See, for years I was taught the wrong thing. I thought that when I sinned, as a Christian, I didn't lose my relationship because I'm sealed for, by God, but now He's mad at me. That's how I was told, that God was upset with me. Because you know how those Bible says you quench the Spirit and grieve the Spirit. And I thought, and I always pictured that even though I never lost my relationship, that God had somehow turned the spigot of his grace off. Picture a hose off of the side of your house and it's got that little spigot. God said, no grace for Jim until he admits what he's done is wrong. And then I'll turn it back on. You know, what I've come to realize now God's grace is continually flowing to me. When I quench or grieve his spirit, it's not that he's mad and shutting it off. I kink the hose. And God is the one who continually reaches out to me and taps me on the shoulder and says, Jim, you kink the hose. Jim, you kink the hose. Jim, I want to continue to pour my grace to you. Let it go. Let it flow. You got to admit what you're doing is wrong. You got to agree with me. I'm the one initiating it, though. Let me wash your feet. Oh, and it does flood us. You don't need another bath, folks. Many of you, if you think back, there have been times that you caught, caught up in sin after salvation and Satan came in and said, maybe you're not even saved. You been there? And that's when we start thinking, maybe I'll be saved again. No, you've never understood the whole aspect of, don't say you don't have sin. We all do. But if we agree with him in these times about our sin, he'll cleanse us. And what does it say in verse 10 again? If we say we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word's not in us. And the whole context here, God is saying to the lost, but mainly in this passage here to the Christian, you still sin. And you need me to wash your feet. Confession does not begin with you. And then I agree with you and wash your feet. Confession is when you respond to my pursuing you in love and trying to wash you and you stop pushing me away. That is confession. No, here's the cool thing that happened. A couple summers ago, I was speaking at a Christian conference center in New Hampshire. Actually, it might be three or four now. I've lost track. And there was a man at this church. I'm uh, sorry, at the Christian conference center that was there. And God had me teach on this in a whole message. We're, you're not getting the whole message. This is just the Reader's Digest version. I taught a whole message on this. And there was a man there who was actually a deacon at the church where I was going to be speaking the next Sunday as I made my way back down the eastern seaboard in, in Chicopee, Massachusetts. And a part of that church service every week was they start off with a time of confession. And this man who had been at my teaching in New Hampshire got up that Sunday and said, well, it's time for us to do, confess our sins. And he began to start like they always had. And it was so cool. He stopped. He said, guys, I, I've... I just heard some new teaching on this that I want to try something today. Instead of you telling God what you've done, why don't you listen to God to bring to your mind things that he knows you've done. And today, don't ask him to forgive you of those things. Receive the fact that he's telling you because he's already forgiven you and he just wants to wash you. The atmosphere in that sanctuary was electric. 
Because all of a sudden, a whole bunch of New Englanders who used to say, oh, God, I've done this. I hope you forgive me. We've prayed those prayers, haven't we? Oh, God, I've done this. I hope you forgive me. Turned into, you've already forgiven me. I receive it. So, folks, in your struggle against sin, we still all have it. Don't misunderstand what confession is. Picture Jesus pursuing you, trying to wash you, and agree with him and receive it. Oh, what a freeing, cool thing it is. Fred, do you even remember your question anymore? I answered your question. Well, praise the Lord for that, because all of a sudden I went, oh, Fred, I got preaching there. Sorry. It's the thing he's you got it. Some of you have been told you have to remember everything you did. Remember heard that kind of teaching, too. Hey, just trust the Lord that he just whatever he speaks to you about. Agree with him. Receive it. Move on. All right. Let's go back now to Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five, verses eight through 14. In Paul's teaching on how Christians are to live, he uses the metaphor here of darkness and light. Look at it again in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light, do you see it, is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of what? Darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So we're going to take some time tonight to really deal with this whole metaphor of darkness and light. Go, go with me to, to uh, two books to the right, to Colossians chapter 1, and look at verses 9 through 14. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. He says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. By the way, are you, did you, are you qualified? Yeah. Who qualified you? Yeah, but how, how have you, how, how'd you do this week? It has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. God's already qualified you because of the fact that you're in him. All right. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want you to see this. All right. Paul's using this term how we were once darkness. We're now light. I like how in Colossians he puts it even more clear for us in case you didn't get it. You're not once darkness and now light. God himself through Christ has delivered you from that and he's transferred you now into a different kingdom. Now, this is a deep concept that a lot of us may take years to fully grasp, and I'm not sure I'm even there myself. But understand this. When you sin now, you're not sinning in your old nature. You're sinning against your new nature. 
Listen to what I just said. You're not sinning in your old nature. You're sinning against your new nature. It's hard for us because we still struggle with sin. And because of this connection our spirit has with our flesh still, that won't be separated until we go to be with the Lord. <laughs> we have a hard time still with the old. Well, what does it say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? It says, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is what? Passed away. It's gone. The new has come. Wait a minute. The old has passed away. How come I still sin? Here's where it gets a little tricky. So I'm just going to teach it and let the Spirit of God in time allow this to sink into you. Paul put it this way. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live, I live now by faith in the Son of God who lived for me and died, and died for me. Now, what died? If we've been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, what died? The old you. But I still struggle with sin. Stick with me. Yes, it's because of your flesh. Now, it's not your old nature in the sense because you don't have that anymore. You're in Christ. You have a new nature. You are been, you've been transformed or transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Your new nature now is not that. Your new nature is what? Holiness. It's Christ. That's who you are. So when you sin, you're not, well, as some people say, well, I'm only human. No, actually, you're not. If you're in Christ, you're more than that. You're sinning. And when I still sin now, I'm sinning against my new nature. That's why it doesn't feel so good. That's why we don't get as much pleasure out of it as we used to. All right. So stick with me here. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. John taught this way too. Um, John chapter one. Look at what it says here in John chapter one. And I'm going to go back to what I was just talking about in a little bit. I'm just going to lay a little bit more foundation here. John chapter one. Look at verses one through nine. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, we know now it's Jesus, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was, light of, was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to the, about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Again, now John's still using this metaphor, darkness and light, darkness and light. All right. Jesus himself used the same metaphor. Go to John chapter 8. Look at verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not even going to go through all the scriptures that show you that not only does he use darkness and light, and light he uses death and life to illustrate the same two things. So, go with me now to Romans chapter 7, and we'll see if we can't allow some of this start to start sinking in now. Romans chapter 7. Starting in verse 14. Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. Paul wrestled with the same struggle that we all wrestle with that I've just been talking about. The fact that we are a new 
creations. We've been given a new nature. We're in Christ. We've been transfer transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But why do I still struggle with sin? Well, look at what Paul says here in Romans chapter 7, verse 14. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members or my body parts another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members or my body parts, my flesh. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Paul is bringing out that there is this struggle that he has. Some people for years have said, well, Paul was talking about himself before salvation. No, he wasn't, and I can prove it to you. He's talking about after salvation, because twice in here he says, it's no longer I who do it. When he says it's no longer I who do it, a transformation has taken place. He's talking about after salvation. And he says, guys, let me fill you in on something. You may look at Paul and say, hey, what a spiritual giant. I'm just like you. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't. But I've come to realize something now. When I sin, it's no longer I who do it because I am a new person. It's sin living in me. Does he say that he's not accountable for what he's done? No, he's not saying that at all. He's giving some light here into this struggle that we have. He said, in my spirit, in my inner being, the real me, the new nature, I delight in God's law. If you go on further in Romans, you'll see that the scripture says those who don't have the spirit cannot delight in God's law. There's, there's, they, they, they don't want it. He says, in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I got this problem. I'm still walking around in this old body that's still under the curse. Oh, and let me tell you something about your bodies, folks. It won't go away until you die. You, you'll be set free of it when you die, and you'll get a new one when the rapture comes, the Bible says. But between now and then, God has chosen. Could he have set us free from our bodies as well at the same time he saved us? Yes, he could have. But he's chosen for a reason to leave us in these same bodies for the purposes of his glory. He's trying to teach us about himself, about us, or about this whole relationship. And he's using this struggle we now have as a shaping tool. Satan will want to come as you go through this deal between light and dark and say, you're no good, you're, you're, a, wa you're a waste, you're, God's mad at you. No, no, no. Listen to the foundation of where we're going. You were once darkness. Now you're light. We need to start learning how to walk in this new nature. Will we struggle? Yes. Will there be times our flesh wins? Yes. Listen closely. When your flesh wins, that's not who you really are if you're in Christ. That's not who you really are. Don't listen to the enemy who say, well, that's who you... No, no. We're going to have the struggle. Well, let's take Jesus. 
Was Jesus tempted to sin? Yes. The Bible says in every way in which we are. Did he give in to this to the flesh? How come? How come he won? He didn't have a fleshly body. <laughs> well, actually, he did. Yeah. Well, not like ours. Yeah. Well, he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And here's why. Because he's God and God can't be tempted. That part of him gave him the victory because Jesus, listen closely. Jesus learned how to live in the human body and allow the spirit of God to be in control at all times. This is where God is trying to bring us are you going to be there tomorrow? No. Do you need to go to a special service and have a certain preacher pray for you so that you'll have this magical transfer? No, that's not how it works. You're in a progression of growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will get better at allowing the Spirit of God to be in control. You'll have less days where the flesh wins. You won't become sinless. But if you are in Christ, you will sin less. That's why last week we saw the one born of God will not go on sinning. It's not saying you'll never sin, but you're going to start growing in your walk with the Lord. And those of you who've been walking with him more years than I, you know what I'm talking about. You're not there yet, but you're gooder than you were. <laughs> but it ain't because of you. It's because of the Jesus within you. Jesus actually lived on this earth Totally human and totally God. But he also yielded his humanness to the Father at all times. Are there times that we yield to the Father and we have victory over the flesh? Yes. Jesus did it 24 hours a day. Thank God he did or else he wouldn't have been the perfect sacrifice for our sins. That same power that was in Christ because he's God is now within you and me. And that same Jesus that I was just telling you about that is continually flowing grace in your direction saying, I want to take over. I want to take over. I want to do this. Let me do this. He's not sitting back saying, well, as soon as you figure it. No, no, no. He's continually pursuing you. You need to learn how to. Well, how's Romans 12, 1 and 2 say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to offer your what? Bodies. Your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship. Right? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Listen closely. In the Greek, you don't see it. They don't translate it that way. But in the Greek, it means by the daily renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to know what his will is. You'll be able to recognize what his spirit's leading you to do. We're going to get there in Ephesians 5. You're about to see where he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand what the Lord's will is. And then he says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the spirit. So I'm going to stop teaching on this right now because we're going to be getting to that in just a little bit. Do you understand? All I wanted you to hear this, in this time that we've taken in all this is this. You were once darkness. You're not anymore. Stop listening to the enemy that says, well, I guess I'll... No, no, no. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There's no condemnation for us who are in Christ. Folks, you are now, if you're in Christ, you are light in the Lord. That's why you have to put on the helmet of salvation. That's for sure. And we may get to that chapter pretty soon, too, hopefully. <laughs> She's reading ahead. I know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Go to, Col go to Colossians chapter 3. 
Colossians chapter, th- I'm going to read Colossians 1 verse 13 to you one more time, and then we're going to go to Colossians chapter 3. Again, Colossians 1.13, He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right. Now, go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. By the way, does that mean some are raised with Christ? No, he's simply saying, since you've been raised with Christ. That word if could be translated since. You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. All right. We see a little bit more now how to walk. We see back in Ephesians, Paul said, you were once darkness. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. How do we walk as children of the light? The same way Jesus did. He's taking everything that comes in, measuring it up against the Word of God and the Spirit of God within Him. All right? And if the Spirit of God and the Word of God allow it, it stays. If, it, if it, the Spirit of God and the Word of God don't allow it, it goes. That's a continual process. You'll see an example of this. Jesus is there and He tells the guys, hey... I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. What did Peter say? He said, no way, Lord. Uh-uh. What does Jesus say to Peter? Why does he say, get behind me, Satan? Because he is taking everything that comes in and measuring it up against the Word of God and the Spirit of God and instantly recognizes this ain't from my Father. And he knew who was speaking through Peter. Now, here's something that'll help us out. Peter, just before he says, you're wrong, Lord, had just answered a question when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Johnson. Flesh and blood didn't, Simon, son of John, keep remembering that, okay? It's Simon Johnson. Blessed are you. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. My Father's revealed this to you. All right? God's given you insight. That came from my Father. Nobody understands who I am unless the Father opens their eyes to that truth. And the fact that you just said that I'm the Christ means my Father's opened your eyes. Flesh and blood didn't open your eyes. My God, my Father did. Man, that's awesome. My Father's speaking through you. And he immediately goes from saying things of the Spirit to looking at things with man's eyes and I can almost guarantee you every other guy in that room thought Peter was right I'm going somewhere with this stick with me some of you are in churches and you've never learned how to listen to the difference between things of man and things of God and there are plenty of people in our churches today in the church business meetings or wherever who will come up and they'll make a presentation and man it sounds awesome man we can sell this this will work. We can get enough energy. We can get enough people. We can get enough inertia. If everybody will buy a brick, we can just... And everybody there says, yeah. And God's not in it. You want a part of walking in the new kingdom that you're really in is learning how to recognize, is this my father in this? Or is this of man? 
You're going to have to learn to take everything that comes in. That's why we talked a little bit last week about what we watch on TV and what we do and these types of things. It's not because you're a bad person if you watch that show. I can't believe you went to that movie. No, no, no. It's not a legalistic thing at all. But it's a part of us learning to recognize everything that comes in is either going to be coming from one or two kingdoms. Kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. We're now being challenged to walk in the light. Do you understand? It's not for me to determine for you what is light and darkness. Whose job is to determine for you what is light and darkness? The Holy Spirit. That's right. Who are you listening to? All right. Now, go to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 16. Look at, what, look at what Paul says. It's so cool now. All that we kind of laid this out, this will all of a sudden become a whole lot more clear. I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, that's in the light side, your new nature, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know what most of us do when we try to struggle against our flesh and our sin nature that's in our flesh still, but we're a new nature now? That struggle we still have? You know what we try to do? We try to stop sinning. By the way, those of you that have tried to stop sinning, how'd that work out for you? How you doing? Yeah. The Bible doesn't say that you're to try to stop doing that. That's what we've been taught. We just need to stop. Guess what? You can't unless you let this new nature, the spirit of God who lives within you, give you victory over your flesh. I don't care how much you try. I don't care how many habits you try to develop. I don't care how many groups you get with to try to hold you accountable. Guess what? You're going to lose. Oh, but if you just focus on walking in the spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You won't. You say, how come? Well, I can give you one of the reasons why there's lots, but one simple. In the book of James, it says, uh, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll what? Flee. He'll flee. He doesn't tiptoe away. He runs away. Why? Why does he run away? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Too many of us have never been taught how to win this battle. Again, we'll get there in Ephesians 6. How to win this battle of spiritual warfare and what the armor of the Lord is all about. We're going to get to all that. Do you see where Paul's going here? Do you see how we're teaching on this? All of a sudden we can see, hey, that goes right into the next section of chapter 5. That goes right into chapter... Yes, that's where Paul's going. You were darkness, you're now light, walk as children of the light. Now, um, he then goes on. Good point. All right. Bill, you're born again. The Spirit of God is in you, right? You have, according to John chapter 5, verse 24, you've passed from death to life. You now are alive because of the Spirit of God. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, but because of Christ and your faith in Christ, He's made you alive. You're a new creation. You live by the Spirit, right? Do you always walk by the Spirit? There's a difference. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when it says, if we live by the Spirit, now walk by the Spirit. Everybody here that is born again through faith in Jesus Christ, you already live by the Spirit. You're alive because of the Spirit of God. You are passed from death to life. You're never going to die. Oh, your physical body may die, but you ain't never going to die. Jesus said that in John chapter 11. Whoever lives and believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. Amen. Every one of us who are born again, we live by the Spirit. But we don't all walk by the Spirit. And that's learning how to yield on a daily basis throughout the day 
to the Spirit of God within us. And again, that's why you need to know what His Word is, you know what's right, so you know which Spirit's talking. And then you need to do what you believe the Spirit of God is telling you to do. And if you focus on that and live in the light, you... Well, Paul says, uh, go back to Galatians, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, look at what he says. He says, the fruit or the evidence of walking in the light is what is good and right and true. Now, don't feel pressured, but I'm going to kind of give you a quiz. And I know this is a hard quiz, because first of all, you didn't know you had a quiz coming and you weren't prepared. Some of you are now having flashbacks to school and say, I thought I was done. That's one of the things I love to tell my kids, by the way. When they're doing their homework, I'll say, did you know I already finished school? It feels great, you know? And, uh, but from just our study of the book of Ephesians, again, stick with me, just from our study of the book of Ephesians, we can see what good and right and true looks like. Can anybody tell me from our study of the book of Ephesians, what are some things that Paul has already said to us specifically about what good and right and true is going to look like in the Christian life. I'll get you started. We're to love one another as Christ loved us. What's another one? You can look back over your notes if you want to. This is an open book test. You can even go back in Ephesians just a couple of chapters and actually start to look there in Ephesians chapter 4 where he starts to begin into getting into specifics. In chapter, 17, uh, chapter 4 verse 17 and following, he says, loving one another, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us, telling the truth. Remember, putting away all falsehood. Do you want me to keep going or come on? Some of the people are saying, good, Jim, just keep giving us the answers. Others are getting mad because I'm not letting you answer. I love it. This is awesome. But go ahead, Steve. What do you think? Uh, imitators of God. Exactly. Be an imitator of God. Love. Yep. Be angry, Humility. What's that? Be angry and don't sin. Be angry and don't sin. Encouraging one another. Speaking the truth in love. What are you saying? That's right. Keep going. Lay aside the old self. What was that? Being in Christ. Being in Christ. Yeah. How about earning an honest living? Remember that? We looked at that earlier. Earning an honest living. How about avoiding sexual immorality? We just saw that last week, didn't we? The good, right, and true has already been talked to about us. Hey, guys, instead of getting all freaked out about being super Christian and supernatural and super in the spirit. Oh, I'm in the spirit right now. No, that's not what it means. Was Jesus in the spirit? At all times. Did you ever see him saying, oh, I can't talk to you right now. I'm, I'm floating. <laughs> no. When you walk in the spirit, it's not this, this supernatural experience. They've tried to turn it into something that it was never intended by God to be. And so many people think, well, they got to go have that experience. That's not it. It is letting the spirit of God be in control and it manifests itself in holy living in love and joy and peace and patience kindness and gentleness. That's what of the Spirit means. Not this other stuff. We'll get into that when we get further in Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 10. And I'm going to frustrate the tar out of you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Look at verse 10. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We'll deal with that next week. I'm serious. Next week, that's where we're going to start. We're going to deal with knowing the will of God, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. We're going to get into all that next week. So verse 10, save it for next week. Paul then says, though, we're to expose the darkness for what it is. Look at what he says. He says next, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Do you realize 
that one of the questions asked today at the Super Bowl media day, when they, they allow the players to come and be interviewed by the media, and it's usually just craziness, one of the questions asked of the Super Bowl players today by a reporter was this, how do you feel about stripper polls? This is where we are in the world today, folks. Let me just tell you. The question was, how do you feel about stripper poles? I thought to myself when I heard that, I wish one of them had said, my answer to that question is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 12. For it's even shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. I'm not even going to answer that stupid question because it would be wrong to even go there. You know, Jim, that's the problem is that when, you know, Paul was able to speak to the Greek and to the Roman and they, they embraced ideas so that you could have an intelligent conversation, that you could have, you know, a declaration and, and a, a flow of ideas. That's almost impossible in our society today because people, they, they can't meet you on the battleground of ideas and truth. But they can tell you what Justin Bieber did. I'm glad you don't even know what I'm talking about. But but you see what I'm saying? That's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. You know the ad hominem thing. They want to attack because they cannot. They cannot have a mature conversation about truth. Truth. And that, to me, that's the most frustrating. They have nothing to stand on, and plus, in their mind, they've been convinced there's no such thing as truth. But now listen closely, though. Stick with me here, because this is where Christians have gone wrong. Here it says that we're to expose the, the unfruitful works of darkness. But then he says this. It's shameful for even, us to even speak of the things they do in secret. Well, how in the world can we expose what they're doing as evil if we're not allowed to talk about it? That's, that's, that's exactly. Listen to how he says. He says, but then look at the next part of the verse. But when anything is exposed by what? The light, it becomes visible. Anything that becomes visible is light. Let me explain it to you this way. The scripture says that how we expose the deeds of darkness, just live in the spirit. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. And guess what? As you in your workplace and wherever you are in your school or whatever, live as Christ would have you live. It will become evident what is light and what is darkness. I'm not going to ask some of you to raise your hands because uh, um, I don't want to embarrass anybody. And, and, and I don't want to embarrass Steve because he's our bug man. But does anybody, do any of you have cockroaches in your house? You live in Florida. You live in Florida. Do you know how to make cockroaches disappear? Just turn the light on. You just turn the light on. They'll, they, you don't have to go stand on something and say, cockroaches, you, you're a cockroach, you're a cockroach. You just turn the light on. They know they're cockroaches. Woo! They go. <laughs> Guys, we're, we have for you two or years stood on the street corner exposing darkness. You heathens, you. Hey, they're doing the best they can. They don't have Christ. You've already admitted tonight you struggle with sin still and you've got Christ living within you. And if you don't let the Spirit have control, your flesh is going to have control. Why in the world do we think all of a sudden we're better than them? Folks, how do you expose the deeds of darkness? You don't go into this warfare against the darkness. Live as children of the light. And people will start to ask you to give reason for the hope that lies within you. And the Spirit of God has to do the work in their hearts.
We used to think that it was our job to convict people of their sin. But John chapter 16, verse 8, listen to what Jesus says. He says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will convict the world of their guilt in regard to sin, their need for righteousness, and the fact that there's a coming judgment. Whose job is it to show them their sin? It's the spirit of God's job. What do we do to do? Not do the things they do and just live in the world, just not of the world. Let me give you an example. Years ago when I, uh, this is before I met Becky, I was up in Virginia. Um, I had just finished playing basketball in college and it was, I just finished school and, and I, there was a girl up there that I really wanted to date. And uh, so I just decided to live with her brother in their house behind, I, this is, you're looking at me and you say, nah, you never did. Yeah, I did. I chased a girl all the way to Virginia and I pulled the couch at my buddy's house away from the wall and I slept on the floor between the couch and the wall in the living room because there was no place to sleep in their house. But I just hoped that when she came back from Radford University, she would see me there and go, oh, you know, that kind of stuff. And so while I was up there chasing this girl, who, by the way, came back from college and said, what are you doing here? And I'm like, well, I kind of thought. And she said, get out. So, but uh, God's so awesome. Some of you are in the room and you were there at the time. Literally, the day after I found out she wasn't too excited that I had moved to Virginia in hopes of dating her, uh, I got a phone call from First Baptist in the Atlantic wanting to know if I'd be their youth pastor. And they were offering me half of the amount of money I was already making at the Chesapeake Bay Seafood House where I was waiting, waiting tables. And I said, yes, that sounds great. And I came to Florida and God's so awesome. And Becky and I have been married 23 years and she didn't chase me out. And uh, here's the deal. But listen, during... Not, it's during that time that I was up there for those couple of weeks, three weeks, I went to the movies one night with a buddy of mine whose house I was staying at. And he invited a friend of his. And it was kind of chilly and we had light coats on. And we were going to see the movie and I don't remember what the movie was. But his buddy had snuck a six pack and he didn't have enough room in his two coat pockets for beers. And his, my buddy's two coat pockets, and he had two beers left, and he said to me, stick these in your pocket, because I want to drink these while we're watching the movie. Interestingly enough, he was skipping an AA meeting. We found this out because when he stopped at the store to buy the beer, he ran into someone from his AA group. But I stood there wrestling with, I can't do this. Not only is it illegal, I don't want to be a part of him drinking. And I've never met this guy before. And he's bigger than me. And I said, I don't want to do it. And he goes, what's your problem? I said, well, it's illegal and I don't feel comfortable. And I don't want to sneak a beer into this place. He goes, dude, it's no big deal. Just put it in your pocket and go. The cool thing was, even though my other buddy, his name was Jim, wasn't a Christian, he turned to his friend and said, I know Jim, he's not going to do it. So if you want to see the movie, we're going to come up with another plan. And the guy was mad and he only got four beers for that movie instead of six. But throughout the night, you could start to see, he started to realize there's something different about him. And the Spirit of God can begin his work. You're not the Holy Spirit. It's not your job to point out people's sin. Live as children of the light. It's even shameful for us to even talk about some of the stuff they do. Live as children of light. And now as we close, look at what he says here. Therefore, well, anything that becomes visible is light. Do you understand what he's talking about here? When, when you kind of point out something by how you live, it's now become light. God shed light on it. 
And God will begin to work on that person and he'll deal with that person. And then Paul quotes from most theologians think this is probably a Christian hymn that they all knew pretty well. You're not going to find this anywhere. It's kind of written in our Bibles like it's a quote from the Old Testament. Good luck. I couldn't find it. You could find like a Waco sleeper in one verse in Psalms and you could find a rise from the dead in another verse over here. But this whole thing together, you're not going to find. Most likely it was a Christian hymn that had been written with a conglomeration of scripture put together. And it was something they all understood. And Paul quoted from it and he said, therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. What is he saying? What is the song saying? Guys, I'm going to say it to you this way. Wake up. Wake up. Understand that you're in a battle. It's a daily battle. But you're not in darkness anymore. You can walk as children of the light. You're on this side. Your new nature is already there. It's Jesus is waiting to take control. You need to let him. Well, how do I do that? Well, you listen to whatever comes in. And if it matches up with the word of God and the spirit of God within you, go there. If it doesn't, turn it off, ignore it, resist it, walk away. And in time, you're going to understand what it means to walk in the spirit. And people are going to go, I just like being around you. There's something different about you. As my neighbor said, I don't understand you, but you're just happy all the time. And all I could say was, yeah. And I told him, I did. I, I said, it, it, you might not understand it. It's because of Jesus. He says, oh, I, I go to church. <laughs> Let me tell you, first of all, he doesn't understand what I meant. And second of all, he doesn't go. I see him on Sundays. <laughs> but the cool thing is, is Jesus is right now ready, waiting, anxious to live this life that he has in you already. He wants to live it out. Relax. He's not in as mu is in a much a hurry as some of the preachers have told you. He's patient. He's more interested in the actual transformation of your flesh to the spirit life. Then he has a bit of magic prayer and a magic experience. He wants you to understand what it means to let him live through you. That's what it means to let Christ shine on you. Let him live through you. You know what's interesting? You ever had a preacher end with a hymn? You ever had a sermon where they ended with a hymn? Paul just did it. I've done it a few times. And some of you are saying, don't do it again. Don't do it again. Because I've actually ended a couple with, song, with a hymn and I sang it to you. I'm not going to tonight. But you know, we all grew up with this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. That's okay. It's really more learning to let Jesus have control than you trying to go shine for Jesus. Years ago, Miss Ray was there. I was asked to speak at the uh, annual convention of the Campers on Mission. And their theme for the week was shine your light. And God told me to go and be their speaker every night and say, you can't do it. You can't do it. Oh, but Jesus can. And he will believe it. Father, thank you again for the fact that when we take the time to let your word speak, uh, when we lit the whole of the passage and the context and the other passages that all tie together, all of a sudden it just comes alive. Lord, thank you for the fact that you're helping us to really understand how cool it is to be already in Christ. 
Lord, take our eyes off ourselves and how we're doing. And may we believe that you are going to give us victory over this flesh. And Lord, in these days when we don't do so good, may we receive your cleansing that you're already trying to wash us. May we just agree with you and just receive it and move forward. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that in time as we look back, we can, we can see it in Paul's life. We can see it in Peter's life specifically. That over time, these people that tried to do it in their own strength became people who went from saying, no, John Mark can't come with us because he just deserted us last time to go get John Mark. He's helpful to me in ministry. The same Peter says, I'll do it, became one of these ones who understood that apart from Christ, he couldn't. And he taught us to grow in our knowledge in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, move us away from magic sermons, magic experiences, and into what it really means to walk as light in the Lord. We've already had the experience. We've already had the transformation. We've already had the big experience, if you will, when you came to live within us. We thank you for it. Now you want us to learn how to walk in the light we already have. Jesus, you have lived in this body. You know the struggles. You know the temptations. Yet you had victory. And you want to give us victory as well. Thank you for the fact that you're patient with us. Thank you that you don't control us like puppets. And thank you for the times that you actually discipline us in this process of teaching us. Because you've already shown us and your word says that if you discipline us, it's because we're your children and you love us. So, Lord, we just let you love each other through us. May you, we let you forgive each other through us. May you give us jobs so that we can earn a healthy living and, and a good living so we can be generous and share with others and not be dependent on folks. All these things that you've been teaching us, avoiding sexual immorality, saying no to, to lying and putting off falsehood, all these things. Lord, thank you that that's where you want to go in each of our lives. And for each of us now, you have a specific aspect of this that you're talking to us about. Lord, may we not walk out of here singing, I surrender all. May we surrender the thing you're talking to us about right now. And may that area become more and more glowing, if you will in the light of who you really are in our lives. I know others are going to see it. May we stop hiding it. We pray this in your name. Amen.